So like Adam said, my name is Maddie, and I'm the worship pastor. So I'm up here all the time, right? But it's completely different, and it's, it's just such a different situation uh, today for me to be up here. But, but I appreciate the opportunity. Um, what I don't appreciate is nobody told me that it was baby dedication Sunday. So <laughs> there's a lot more people that we're looking out here to see today. Which is great, though. Um, and I want to say thank you to Aaron and Kelsey for logistically making this possible for me to do this. Um, but again, so a little bit about me. I like golf, right? So got the golf club up here. And I know that I probably just gained about 5% of you that are out there, and I lost the other 95%, right? Because we're talking about golf. So, so just stick with me for a few more minutes, and this will make sense. So um, again, I, I like golf, but I'm not very good at it. But I want to tell you something about golfers, and that is they will do literally anything, literally anything to hit the ball better, right? Hit it farther, hit it straighter, anything. I won't say what I was just about to say, especially. Not. But I want to I read this to you. This is from June uh, 2022, the most recent Golf Digest, right? This is an ad for a set of golf clubs. These are the, this is the description, cannon-like distance, angelic forgiveness, we can use that, laser-like accuracy, incredible sound and feel. Our new Gen 5 clubs are a masterclass in style, performance, and forgiveness with explosive distance, laser-like accuracy, and outstanding mishit performance. Just one swing and you'll agree, we killed it with these sticks. So golf marketers know this, right? They know that if they put the right words down there, You'll go buy their clubs because what, what they're selling here is the fact that you don't have to practice. You don't have to do anything except purchase this club and you'll be a better golfer. Um, so this is, I, I don't play that much. And, and back before I had kids, I played maybe once a year, right? So I didn't buy stuff. I just took whatever my dad had as a hand-me-down. So when he got his new clubs, I took his old clubs. So this is a King Cobra 440SZ. This is a top-of-the-line driver with technology from 2003. <laughs> so when my oldest son, Parker, started playing golf, I started playing golf a little more, right? So as opposed to playing once or twice a year, we're starting to play two or three times a week. And I'm getting up there, not hitting the ball very well. Of course I'm not hitting the ball well, right? I haven't played. Uh, but... I decided that since we were going to do this, I needed to be a little bit better because he was better, Parker's better than I am anyway. So what do I do? go out? I've already got this club, right? It's a club. It'll hit the ball. But I went out and I bought this. This is a King F8, which was actually a new club back then. Can't see it from there probably, but it's got this cool blue camouflage on it. White graphite shaft. It's a lot bigger. We've got a fancier face. All with the idea that just because I went and purchased this club, I'm going to be better. That's all I'm going to say about golf. Um, <laughs> I won't spoil the surprise and what happened with this club. So uh, if you guys would pray for me, we'll get to like something actually serious. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today for everybody that's here. God, we thank you for the children that are dedicated, and we thank you for the fact that we can gather in this beautiful space. We can worship you, we can read your word, we can learn about you, and we can praise your name. We can thank you for all the things that you've done for us, God. So uh, be with us this morning, bless these words, bless everybody who hears them, and I pray that this honors you today. We pray all this in your name, amen. 
So we're going to go ahead and get into the text just a little bit. The scripture that we're in today is Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24. So if you got a Bible and you want to turn, uh, turn in there, we'll go ahead and get started. So just to set this up a little bit, this is before Paul's conversion. So he was in the midst of his time persecuting Christians. He's, he's beating people, killing people, jailing people, just generally wreaking havoc in the, the Christian community at the time. So um, in, in the prior chapter. So we're going to pick things up uh, right after that. Starting in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Uh, In verse 9, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So they're preaching, they're, they're teaching the word in this city, um, showing them the power of, of what Christ has done. But we have this magician, and he's not, he's not just anybody, right? He's not just a random guy that, that showed up in their services. He's somebody that's well-respected. He's well, not well-respected, he's well-known. Uh, the magic that he does, the things that he's been doing, are, are something that people are familiar with. And he calls himself great. So essentially, he's a, a very well-known person in this area as they come to preach. So picking up in verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So even, even the magician who called himself great, who, who trusted in the power and the, the wondrous things that he was able to do, is recognizing what it is that God brings. So um, Craig Keener, in one of his commentaries, this is a, a theologian, says, Whereas Simon claims to be somebody great, seeking his own status, Philip acts only in the name of Jesus. So Simon similarly presupposes worldly notions of power where Philip obeys counterintuitive, countercultural commands. So we're sort of setting these guys up against each other. Um, The world says that Simon is great, but even Simon now recognizes that the power of God is, is far greater than anything that he can bring. So he sees this and he believes, um, and he gets baptized, and now he starts to, to travel around with the apostles. So again, we'll get into verse 14 now. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So you see what happened right there? He's blown away by this, right? The power of the Holy Spirit. Again, despite the fact that he's called himself great, 
People, people are impressed by him. People are wowed by Simon. But he sees what the Holy Spirit has done. He's been baptized. He believes. So what does he do? He tries to buy that power. He offers them money for this power. Um, I read another commentary as I was getting ready for this. Uh, and this gentleman said, Simon's sin is the notion that the power to convey the gift of the Holy Spirit can be bought with money. Uh, so two things are important here. First, it's not only the action of buying and then selling spiritual power that provokes God's judgment, but even that the thought is possible. So he's sinning just in the idea that he can buy this power. Um, the attempt to buy and sell the gift of God, conveying the spirit of God, amounts to an attempt to manipulate God himself, which is not only impossible, but a most serious sin. God's good gifts can only be received with thankful hearts. So again, he's trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to, to purchase salvation, basically. And this, they even developed a term for this in the English language. It's called simony. And the definition of that is trying to buy the Holy Spirit. So this, this is actually a word that went into the English vernacular as a result of what he did. Um, and at the time, honestly, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that uncommon for priestly offices to, to be purchased. You know, if somebody had enough money, they could, they could purchase that kind of office. So he didn't necessarily know that he was doing something wrong. It was part of the culture. Um, but thankfully, Peter was there and he corrected that. So now we're in verse 20. Peter says, or it says, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So that's the text for today. And we see, we see what happens with Simon. So... The first thing that I want to do is, as we go and talk about this and think a little bit more about the application is bring this back around to the gospel, right? You know, everything that we read here in Acts is going to come back to the gospel. So I found a nice, succinct definition of the gospel from John Hendricks. It says, the gospel is the life-altering news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man, lived a sinless life under the law, died for sinners, and rose again to reconcile them to himself eternally victorious over every enemy that stood between God and man. So that's the promise that's been given to all of us today. So I always want to, I always want to have that at the forefront of our minds when we think about how all these things are going to work and think about what Simon did in light of that. So interestingly enough, Simon's story is basically a textbook response to the gospel, right? Um, he was doing his thing. He was out there calling himself great. People are impressed by him. Then he saw the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they call the Holy Spirit down to that, to that place. Uh, he saw the power, saw the power of Christ's work in the Holy Spirit. And what was the result of that? He believed, and he asked to be baptized. So, but despite that, part of the old Simon is still, still kind of back there a little bit, right? It's not, and we, and we say this a lot of times, you know, one of, the, one of the issues that we have in the church is that we tell people, just say this prayer, right? Get baptized and you're done. You know, your life is good from there. It's easy. Everything will be great. And then when everything goes to crap, 
people are like, well, what happened? Uh, so anyway, Simon's baptized, but he still, he still has that sinful nature, right? We all have that sinful nature. That is why Jesus had to die for us. He, he took that because we still can't do it for ourselves. So Simon's still sinning, trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but he's called out. He's called out by Peter. And what's his response? He repents. He says, please don't let that happen to me. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people have questioned in this particular passage whether or not Simon was actually authentic in his conversion or his, his belief, you know, to be baptized. They said, well, look at what he did. He got baptized, but he still tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I don't think there's any reason, and in a lot of stuff that I've read, there's no reason to believe that his conversion is not authentic, right? Because they wouldn't have baptized him, you know? The apostles probably wouldn't have just rushed to baptize him to get their salvation count up um, as a result of their ministry, right? So, so there's no reason to, to think that what he did was inauthentic. Uh, and that makes me think of the fact that when we read these accounts in the Bible and we read about, you know, someone like Simon who did this, uh, it's easy for us to be kind of smug and we say, oh, look at him. You know, that was so stupid. Why would he do that? Like, if I was there, I would have been a perfect Christian. They probably would have asked me to be one of the apostles, voted me apostle of the year. But honestly, honestly, we know that's not true, right? Uh, you know, we, we look at all these stories. Um, gosh, how could, how could he give up Jesus? How could he deny Jesus? Look at Moses. You know, why did he hit that rock? Um, put in the same place. Every single one of us probably would have done all that and and more. So it's important for us not to be so quick to judge people in these stories, right? Like, because if you really put yourself there, um, think about what might actually happen and, and, and be honest with yourself. So all that said, this is the point where I feel like we're, we're sort of contractually obli obligated to give a little disclaimer, right? Um, I don't want anyone to feel bad. We don't want anybody to feel like we're condemning you with the words that we're saying up here, right? So again, that, that's the disclaimer. Um, because I cannot condemn you, right? It doesn't matter what I think. Adam can't condemn you. Um, that's, that's, not, that's not in the power that we have. Um, Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And then also in Romans, Paul writes in Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So I wanted to put those things out there, right? Because frankly, some of the things that I say, I'll probably wind up condemning myself, right? My wife is here to listen and make sure and take notes so you can ask her, does he do that? She'll be like, yeah, so only do it if you have enough time now. Do it after the service, in between services. Um, in fact, that's, that's how I, I'm able to think of some of these things, right? Because some of these are, are certainly my very own fault. So, so again, um, 
But just because I'm not condemning you and I'm not judging you doesn't make that the, the final word, right? Uh, I want to read this one uh, additional passage out of 1 Corinthians. So this one is referring specifically to communion, but it does have, it does have an application here as well. So it's 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one to 32. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what that means for us today is that we listen to this. If you, if you hear something, and it, it makes you think about yourself, um, or I say something and all of a sudden I realize this is something that I'm doing, you know, possibly that's the opportunity to make a change. That's the opportunity to see what's going on, to, to be disciplined, whatever that means, um, now, so that you're not, you're not disciplined for this later in a way that's much harsher than my opinion of you, and much more significant, right? All right, so moving on. All that said, we all feel good about ourselves, right? So we're going we're gonna to keep going. So how does this story apply to us? And how does this story apply in our world, right? You know, none of us are, are magicians probably. And none of us have tried to purchase influence directly from the church. None of us have tried to buy, buy a position here, I think. Um, but anyway, even if none of those are the case, I think there are some subtle ways that we can can try to buy our salvation or that we can try to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And in that golf analogy that I started with, that was one of the things I thought about, right? But it's not a perfect analogy. And the reason that it's not a perfect analogy is because trying to buy golf skill, you know, skill in golf is not something that's been freely given to you already by somebody else's work. Your salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's already been given to you. You don't have to do stuff to get it. Um, so one of the ways that this can happen, and one of the ways that we see this happen in the church sometimes, uh, I, I've, I'm calling it tithing for influence, right? So I alluded to this just a second ago, but you know, believe it or not, there's people out there that think that if they give enough money to the church— then they deserve a say in how things go. And you've, you've probably seen this too. Um, because there are churches that will do things or will not do things in order to not offend those people who are giving a lot of money. You know, whether it comes down to the look of the building, the style of the music or something like that. Sometimes those choices are driven by money, and they're driven by the people who give that money. So, um, it, and it's because we get so dependent on the money that we feel like, you know, we can't operate the church. We've actually given up the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in order to get those tithes so that we can make sure we meet our budget. Um, but you know what? This isn't really something that we struggle with here a lot. And the reason that I know this is because if you, if you felt like you were going to influence the church by giving a lot of money, you probably wouldn't be here still. Uh, <laughs> because it, it, it wouldn't happen. So anyway, um, that, that, is, that is less common here, but absolutely common in the rest of the world. But the second thing that I want to talk about is, is a lot more prevalent. And we don't, always, we don't always even know 
that we're doing it. And this is, is either doing things out of a sense of obligation or doing things to, I don't know, earn points, what, you know, however that might work for you. So, you know, this could be a lot of different things. This could be your church attendance, right? You come here not because, like Josh said a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to refer back to Josh's sermon a couple of times, you know, not because you're in awe of the power of the Holy Spirit and you're here to celebrate the things that God has done in your life and you walk in that door and you're like, I can't believe that I get to worship God today in this place with these people, right? No, you come because your wife is expecting you to. Or you come because, I want to make sure my children are brought up in church, right? Like, I don't believe it, but as long as they're around some people that are good, we'll do that. So that's, you know, that's kind of a a subtle way. So if you've taken church and, and you've turned it from a worshipful experience into something that just checks a box, like that's something you have to be really careful about. Um, So that can get dangerous. You know, I I shared the good news of the gospel just a minute ago. And and part of what the gospel means is that your actions will never earn you your salvation. The things that you do are not what will get you to heaven just because you did them. Um, Romans 9, 16 says... So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Uh, so again, there's no, there's no cosmic scorecard that God keeps of spirituality, you know, where you get, you get one point for every Sunday that you showed up, two points for each child that you brought to church, uh, that kind of thing. You know, that, that doesn't exist. Um, so just to give you an example, I, I've led worship for... I don't know, probably 15 years or so now, you know, Sunday after Sunday, endlessly. You can, again, my wife asked me if I was going to mention my family, and I said no, but here I am. Um, (laughs) You can ask her because she's had to to be there a lot. Um, But again, 15 years, you know, way more Sundays that I did that I didn't, right? Uh, stood up in front of a congregation with a guitar and sang songs to helpfully help people praise Jesus. But not a single second of that is going to be credited to me as righteousness because I did it, right? And I'll tell you a sad truth about the world. There are people, and again, I'm not calling anybody out. Like, this, this is just the way it is. There are people that can do this believing the things that they say. Um, It's a really, it's a cool opportunity to be a musician, right? I can make a living playing guitar, singing in front of, you know, however however many people. Sorry about that. Um, So it's not, (laughs) it's not the actions that you do. It's not the things that you take. Again, you can't earn that salvation. I can't, I can't Worship lead my way to heaven. Um, Yeah, no matter how hard we try, right? But even stuff like that turns into that subtle attempt to buy your way to salvation. Um, And Paul wrote about this too, right? So we're going to get to this later. But Paul, Paul in Philippians 3, 7, and 8 said, But whatever gain I had, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ. So, you know, in his life prior to writing this, he was a very impressive Jew, right? He had this miles-long resume of things that he'd done, people that he'd studied under, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, it, it, was, it, was much more, it was much more significant than leading a few songs or, or preaching a bunch of sermons or something like that in the eyes of the world, right? But all that stuff, all his fame, all his knowledge, all his experience, he counts it basically as nothing. And depending on your translation of the Bible, he uses a lot more colorful language to describe what he considers it as. One might even say, poop. And check that off the list of things that I get to say at church. Um, so, like the bottom line is that these actions, you know, coming to church, leading worship, going to a group, Did I hit it back on? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, those things are all great, right? They're all good. They're all beneficial. They're good for the people that, that receive them, and they can be good for your soul doing them the right way. But when it comes down to it, not a single bit of that matters as far as you getting into heaven, right? And again, don't get me wrong. If, if you truly believe you're going to do these things, but you're going to do them out of, the, out of the attitude of a grateful heart. You're not going to do them out of an attitude of obligation or a sense of obligation or a sense of checking boxes to, to score points. So, um, so what can we do about it, right? Uh, we're going to go ahead and get to a couple of little points and wrap this thing, thing up. Um, the first thing is one that we talk about all the time. And there's a reason we talk about it all the time, because it's so important. It's like, I can say it, Neil can say it, Adam can say it, and we're going to say it over and over and over because we can't say it enough, because if you're not doing it, you got to do it. And that's read your Bible, right? Like, it's so basic. It's like, it's not even Christianity 101 because it comes before Christianity 101. It's like the prerequisite to Christianity 101. Just read your Bible. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And Paul said to Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So being intentional and diligent about spending time reading your Bible is foundational. And the reason for this is because God's word is the source of the reason we know truth. And the reason we know what we know is because God has said it. And you can read the Bible. And when you read the Bible, you'll start to see it in the world. You'll start to understand what truth is. But if you're not digging in there and you're not, you're not saturating your mind with the power of Scripture, uh, you're not going to get there. You know, this is also a great way everybody wants to know God's will for their life, right? We all want to know these things. But not all of us have the opportunity for, to hear the voice of God audibly in our ear or like have a sign given to us that this is exactly what we should do. But reading the Bible is going to help you discern those things from the world. So um, we want to make sure that you're doing that. You're reading the Bible daily. The second one is also pretty basic, but it's using your time well. 
Um, this one, if we want to talk about condemning me, this is probably this is probably one of the places that we can do it. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, you know, I admit, I'm, I'm far from perfect at this, right? We don't stand up here out of a place of perfection and judgment telling you guys you do this because this is what we do. That's not the case at all. Like I work on this all the time, how I spend my time. Um, but it is something I started to think about a lot more lately. I've started to think about it with the TV shows that I watch, with the stuff that I do on my phone. Um, and and there's, a lot, there's a lot to it, you know, because we all have all these things that take up our time, right? So in addition to here, hopefully this is something that, I mean, obviously you guys are all here and hello to everybody online. Hopefully you're here too, in a way. Um, but you have work, you have your family, you have hobbies, you have all these other things that you need to do, right? Um, some of them are good. Some of them are not as good. We won't say bad, but some of them are not as good. Right, so how do you know the difference? Well, the first way you're going to know the difference is point one. Read your Bible, right? That's going to help you figure it out. Um, but seriously, when you, when you use Scripture to help, help you determine what's the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect, things start to get a little bit more clear. Um, but you can also run your activities through a few filters that will help you, help you figure this out, right? And I, I just, these are things that I think about. One, does this activity help your relationship with God? Does it grow your relationship with God? Two, if you're married, does it help your marriage? And three, uh, does it help your family? So think about these things, right? And I want to go on a little side tangent here. I know we're getting a little bit long, but um, we got all these people here and they're all these families and I didn't know they were coming. So I wasn't even going to talk about some of this, but now I'm going to say it really briefly. Um, so, it, you know, it's easy to get our priorities out of line and it happens subtly often, you know, and we don't even realize it. So, okay, get ready. Um, one of the things that I, I've heard people say is that our first ministry is to our children, right? No, your first ministry is not to your children. And I wasn't even going to go into this too far, but it's baby dedication day and we got all these families and all these parents. So, um, no, if you're married and you have children, your first ministry is to your spouse, right? And there's a couple of reasons for this. And this is a whole separate sermon that I, I, I can't give right now because it's 1014. Um, your first ministry is to your spouse because this is going to be evidence of what you think about God. How you relate to your spouse is going to show your heart and what you think about God. And also... Your marriage is going to set the example for your children. So if you ignore your spouse for your children, that's what they're going to see as they're growing up. And that's what they're going to think marriage is. So that's all that I want to say about that right now. Um, but we're going to get back to the kid thing because this is another thing that bothers me, right? It's sports, okay? So let's say, just for the sake of argument, even though we know it's not true, your children are your first ministry. Um, how do you demonstrate that they're your first ministry? Um, Sports have started to take over with stuff, right? I mean, I myself spent four hours in County Park yesterday with soccer. But we're here today, and you guys are all here today. But sports can easily become preeminent in your life, especially if your kid even has a little bit of talent, right? I'm in these Facebook groups for soccer parents. 
don't judge me. And what I see these people talking about is just crazy. You know, it's almost like a badge of honor that every single weekend they're out doing something. Every single weekend they're at a tournament. But we traveled, we traveled this many miles. I'm going to put this thing on my back pocket and maybe I won't do that. We tra- <laughs> my arms are too flaily. We traveled this many miles. We spent this many thousands of dollars. Um, and this, this, not necessarily the Facebook group, but this idea hurts me because I know there are families that have been a part of our church um, that are no longer a part of our church because they couldn't balance travel sports and church. And eventually, sports won. And they're not here. Um, so if your first ministry is to your child, what are you showing them by putting sports over top of their relationship with God? If your first ministry is to your child, you need to be teaching them things like who they are in Christ. Show them where their identity comes from. It doesn't come from their skill in sports. It comes from who they are in God. Show them what the gospel means and demonstrate for them what it means to follow Christ. All right, so the last point is one that I ripped off from Josh, and I will freely admit that. It's from his sermon a couple weeks ago, and it was your homework. So if you already did it, then that's great. But you got to ask yourself this one question, why am I here? And that goes all the way back up to, you know, what we talked about, about buying salvation. Are you here to worship? Are you here because you're grateful for what God has done in your life? Are you here because you're trying to be the spiritual leader of your family? Or are you here just to check a box um, and say that, that you did it? And you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to answer to me. You don't have to answer to anybody, right? But this is, this is your opportunity to really think about this and try to get this right. Uh, and don't skip it, you know. Really think about this question. Like Josh said a couple weeks ago, take this seriously. Um, and you know, recognize the areas where you're operating from a grateful heart and recognize the areas where you're trying to purchase your own salvation. So as Jesus was starting his earthly ministry, Mark 1.15, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you don't need to buy or earn or work for your salvation. It's already been done for you, right? Um, So you don't have to do that. So go ahead, go out and live that way, right? So Aaron, if you and Kelsey want to come on back up, we'll go ahead and and pray and wrap this thing up.